Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you all for being here today. I know that there were a lot of other places that you probably could have spent over your lunch hour, and you chose to be here. Uh, and that's a big statement because it says that you care a great deal about this subject matter. So thank you uh, for giving us your time. That said, in the essence of time, um, because uh, the congressman needs to leave a little early, uh, we will jump into questions and first some backgrounder. I thought it might be interesting. This sort of reminds me, Jackie, you call this an, an intimate setting. And it almost feels like an intimate, unique field hearing setting on the farm bill because it's going to be interactive and you can ask questions. Yep. And that's sort of how a farm bill hearing works. So we brought one to Chicago, if you will, uh, compliments of City Club. I also decided it might be helpful uh, for those of you who remember David Letterman, if we stepped back in time a little bit and referenced his top ten list. Remember when David Letterman used to do the, the top ten? So I created the top ten things you should know about USDA and the Farm Bill. And not necessarily in priority, um, but just top ten things you should know about USDA and the Farm Bill that you may not know. Um, did you know that Abraham Lincoln um, started the United States Department of Agriculture? And he did so during the Civil War. And did you know, number two, that Lincoln called it the People's Department? So USDA, since the Civil War, has been known as the People's Department. After signing the Department of Agriculture uh, Act for USDA, five days later, President Lincoln signed the Homestead Act. And that meant that those who were qualified could receive 160 acres to farm. So that meant because there were those who were fighting in the Civil War on both sides came from an agrarian setting. And who was going to be there to help produce food to feed those troops? Mm -hmm. And so that was all part of Abraham Lincoln's thoughts and strategies. Now, the first farm bill was drafted in 1933 during the Great Depression. And the first farm bill focused on commodity prices, support relief for farmers, because it was during the Dust Bowl. Number six, today USDA is made up of 29 agencies, nearly 100,000 employees, and 4,500 locations throughout the United States and, and even abroad. Also, the USDA motto is do right and feed people. Do right and feed people. That continues to be the motto. Over 75% of the current farm bill over 75% of the funding is for the support of nutrition. And today, there is even an office of urban agriculture. From the farm bill that we're currently under, the establishment of an urban agriculture division that runs through the National Resource Conservation Service. The Farm Bill expires every five years. This one has expired now. So what does that mean? That's going to be one of the questions. And number 10, based upon the 
research that the um, Office of Government and Accountability does, this current Farm Bill allocation for funding is $867 billion. It's anticipated that the next Farm Bill will be about $1.5 trillion, and that's the largest ever. So those are the top ten things that I thought it might be good for all of us to either know or be reminded of as we start this conversation. But I would add a number 11, and that is, why is the Farm Bill important? Why is it important to those of us who are in this room? Well, one of the answers to that is that it gives an opportunity for policymakers to comprehensively and periodically review what we need, what we don't, how we get there. So let's start there. With our two uh, representatives who are here today, Nikki Budzinski, who is originally from Peoria, has always been involved along with her family in helping people in, in one way or another, now lives in Springfield. Her congressional 13th district snakes around from Springfield to Champaign to East St. Louis. And Congressman Jackson, um, you have a district in District 1 that also kind of has a, a little bit of a snake in the city and then it gets down to the south suburbs and then into Will County. So you each have urban and you each have uh, rural uh, in your district. So since you have to leave early, Congressman, let me begin with you by saying, what are your priorities? What do you want to see? What are you hearing that your constituents want to see in the next Farm Bill? Well, in the spirit of uh, Abraham Lincoln calling it the People's Department, I certainly side with that. We have rising and increasing food insecurity. We still have the same level of food insecurity pre-pandemic uh, levels for COVID. SNAP recipients on average nationwide are 12%. In the 1st Congressional District, think south of Roosevelt Road, across the train tracks from the uh, Soldiers Field all the way through Hyde Park, University of Chicago, IIT, out to Kankakee River is 23%, so it's double the national average. Uh, life expectancy in one part of our district in the western part of Inglewood is almost 30 years life difference between that of in Streeterville on average. So trying to bring nutrition back into the neighborhoods. We're facing chronic uh, diabetes and hypertension, cardiovascular diseases. Some of these are the onset of poor nutrition diet. And this, uh, in the last 10 years, we've seen, just in the last year, we've seen the closure of four Walmarts. When Walmart decides to leave your neighborhood, that's really challenging. And we've seen the growth of Dollar Generals. Some people want to slow them down, but we need more dollar stores. They do provide some food. We've seen the uh, closure of 213 Dominic stores in the last 10 years that were owned by SuperValue. Um, and so now we've got this, this food desert, if you will, on the land that's most, most fertile in the world. You know, Chicago is said to be the city that was meant to be where the lake and the prairies meet. And yet we've had food here for 100-plus years. We've got the heart of the Ag Financial Services Center here, and the people don't have enough to eat. So trying to get food stores in the neighborhood so uh, people can eat, trying to, as they try to increase the work requirements, but there's not enough work in these neighborhoods, uh, that's a challenge, and that's primarily because of accessibility, not having the access to public or private transportation. 
And then in the further part of the district, want to increase the broadband penetration. As we talk about AI and other good things to come, we have to have broadband penetration. Two million Illinois residents don't have access to broadband right now, so it's not a particular focus in my district, but I care about it for the whole state. And probably the last part is broadbands as it relates to historically black colleges. 82% of the historically black colleges, also known as the 1890 schools that come out of the Lincoln spirit, of um, Homestead Act and creating education opportunities for African-American students that have been denied because of slavery and history of segregation. 82% of those schools have been snaked around to not be on the broadband grid. So I want to bring American and American lifestyle up to one standard and elevate it. Access to food in general, access to broadband. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter where. I'll put two in those, yes. Okay, all right. Congresswoman, what about you? What are your priorities? What are you hearing uh, that your constituents need and want? Well, a a number of things. I would say, first of all, I think it's an appreciation in the state of Illinois that agriculture itself is a number one economic driver for our state. So the Farm Bill is really important, not just in central and southern Illinois, but it really connects us to our urban sisters and brothers. And I would add and echo everything that Congressman Jackson said. He and I have been working together on that food desert issue. I, too, like Congressman Jackson, had a few Walmarts closed, specifically in East St. Louis and Cahokia Heights. Mm -hmm. And the problem with this is, and we know that the food desert issue has been around for a very long time, but it is only getting... I think worse. As we uh, move away from more local produced foods, we need more local food production. But when we see these larger employers like Walmart, um, which in a community like Cahokia Heights or East St. Louis or in parts of Chicago are the only sources of healthy food options, and when the company says, when you ask them and you press them, what are, what are local residents going to do for food options? They say, well, the next Walmart is 15 miles away. And for some of us with vehicles, we think maybe that's not far. But for communities like East St. Louis and Cahokia Heights and Chicago, that is really a significant barrier to them getting access. So I I share the congressman's passion on that. I Also, broadband is an an important initiative. But going down to central and southern Illinois, I have almost 3,000 farms within the district. Uh, We are the horseradish capital of the world in Collinsville, Illinois, which is in the Metro East that I'm lucky to represent. Uh, We also are some of the, we have some of the best soil in the country. Uh, We produce some of the most soybeans um, and the most corn in the country as well. And so making sure that we have, um, you know, we're supporting crop insurance in particular is something that's critically important, which I think a lot of people and maybe outside of agriculture don't fully appreciate, but it is really the safety net for our farmers when we're looking at climate change and um, a and increasingly more storms in central Illinois. We had a derecho for the first time in Springfield. What that means, that level of uncertainty for our family farmers is really serious. So fighting for crop insurance and making sure that we're appropriately funding that within the farm bill is critically important. Two initiatives, though, in particular that I would also highlight. Um, One is agricultural research. I'm really lucky. I'm a graduate of the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. They have a world-class College of ACES program, an agriculture program that is um, the best, I would argue, the best in the world. But we also have great community colleges like Parkland that 
that are leading the way are Lincoln Land Community College in Springfield leading the way in precision agriculture. Agricultural research and investment in that is critically important within the Farm Bill. And to be honest, the country has really been lagging behind in investments in agricultural research. You look at the European Union, you look at China, they are making larger investments in agricultural research today. So one of the um, legislative proposals I've put out there is the America Grows Act, which would actually increase our investment in agricultural research by 5% over 10 years to allow us to just compete. There is so much important research that is taking place in our places of higher education, um, but we need to be investing in that. I think the second issue that is also really critically important to appreciate is cultivating the next generation of farmers. You know, when I say that agriculture is the number one economic driver for the state of Illinois, we need to make sure that we have a pipeline uh, for beginning farmers to come up, new and beginning farmers, more diversity within agriculture, breaking down barriers so people from communities of color can get involved in agriculture, I think is critically important. So providing low-interest loans um, to, to farmers, to young and beginning farmers, so that they can acquire land is another issue. You are very like-minded um, mm-hmm. on, on what you see uh, as those needs. How will the two of you work together as members of the, the Ag Committee? Is it simply, and, and there's nothing simple in, in legislation today, is it just about funding, or will you collaborate to create the America Grows and other programs like that that will need funding that either maybe haven't been funded before or have been underfunded? How will you get there in the Farm Bill? If I can add probably just two other items, um, I'm proposing a piece of legislation called the JUST Act. We have to deal with the discrimination that's happened with African-American farmers. Mm-hmm. African-American farmers at the beginning of last century had 90 million acres of land. Now it's down to 10 million acres. Mm-hmm. We have to make sure that these agencies stop the habit of denying people access to the full faith and credit and access of all the programs. Mm -hmm. The second part of that is the digital markets. I serve on the subcommittee for digital markets. And Nikki and I, we work together hand-in-hand, passing notes back and forth. So I can finish her sentences. She can finish mine. So when I leave here early, she can finish. I I agree with everything that she signs off on. So so we don't don't have to do that. And the digital markets, uh, Chicago is very unique. Largest employer for an industry is in the financial service sector. I had the opportunity as a younger adult to run on the Chicago Board of Trade, and I had a wonderful time. Now it's off the floor and into the markets. Uh, but I want to make sure we keep the digital markets, our CBOE, CME, CBOT here in Chicago. It's a very uh, honored and privileged position to be able to set pricing from around the world. And as the markets has evolved, what is digital? What's crypto? Is it a commodity? Mm-hmm. Will it be um, what kind of asset or securities will it be? We've had those discussions. I want to make sure that we are on the front end uh, of our financial innovation and our regulation on making whatever the future holds that we're in the front of it. And so it's, it's free enough where we can make some mistakes, and it's safe enough where bad actors are, will be deterred from participating. It's, it's interesting when you talk about um, beginning farmers mm-hmm. uh, and, and the need for research. Um, the USDA has the National Center for Agricultural Utilization Research uh, in Peoria. The Chicago area has so many research-based 
companies uh, that, that work in the agricultural space. And it's not just about opportunities for young people to become involved necessarily in production agriculture, mm-hmm. uh, but all of the different industries that it takes to get that food ultimately to where it needs to be. So beginning young farmers can also be beginning young farmers here in Chicago. We have acreage that that can be used in the city or rooftops that can be used here in the city. So you two really are working together um, and you may have different landscapes that you're representing, but I'll count on her to finish your sentences after <laughs> after you're gone. Um, talk a little bit, if you will, about the impact that the nutrition programs have. Uh, established earlier, 75% of the current Farm Bill uh, funding is allocated for SNAP nutrition programs. How does that impact the producer of, of a product? It, it, it's not necessarily just someone who needs access to food, but but the whole system of of how we operate that currently is not just about the individual receiver, but it's also about the people who are back here producing that food to get it to them. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you make that connection uh, more strongly in the farm bill? Uh, Or is it just a matter of communicating to others why this piece of legislation is so important? Well, I would just say, obviously, SNAP and the nutrition program, as you mentioned, Colleen, is one of the biggest parts of the Farm Bill. But there is, I think, a couple of things about it. One is, obviously, the need and the demand that uh, working families have to taking advantage of SNAP. I think one of the things that people don't appreciate is there are work requirements. People are working and still struggling to make ends meet and wanting to provide healthy food options on the table for their children. By providing SNAP benefits, that is, I think to your point then supporting producers and growers because we obviously need them to produce the food that that food ends up on the table of a family that's maybe taking advantage of SNAP benefits. It's critically important, and I'm I'm sure Jonathan could speak to the importance of this in his communities, but we have people, seniors, young people, again, people that are working um, and just, again, trying to make ends meet with high inflation as it is. SNAP benefits... um, uh, WIC are like some of the only opportunities that young people are going to, or anybody is going to be able to provide healthy food options. And so it is a win-win for our farmers because they're producing the food, but it's also producing or providing uh, for families that otherwise would otherwise would be really struggling. And I think, too, I do want your input uh, on this, too, Congressman, but what occurs to me as you, you say that, Congresswoman, is that there, there may be a stereotype of of who needs or uses those programs. Um, I I think it's important to point out when when I was at at USDA, one of our undersecretaries who had a Native American uh, background um, talked about being a a single mom uh, and using and having access to those programs that were vital uh, to to their, their future. Um, so it, it doesn't matter where you live or what you look like or what your background is, there is a need 
uh, across the board. How would you respond to that? Well, when you think of like corn in Illinois, 50% is shipped abroad, a third of it goes to China. How can we not have enough food to to feed our own our own citizens? And the SNAP program is not uniform across the entire country. Some states will receive a dollar and fifty a meal. Some will receive up to two dollars a meal, six dollars a day. It's also an economic benefit. The multiplier and the accelerator effect is like one point five. So for every dollar that's spent out there, a dollar fifty begins to circulate through the economy. It's also good for the health care. If you think about if the average American today weighed with the average American weighed in 1970, mm-hmm. we would save a trillion dollars in health care costs. Mm-hmm. So when I think of health care, I first started thinking about reducing obesity, reducing diabetes, reducing all the chronic illnesses. So increasing better food supply in our urban and rural areas. And there's also a part in the farm bill that's now had a sunset. We have to get on and get this reauthorization done for the farm bill is that uh, for horticulture and urban farming, right now it's 15% of the world's food supply. By 2030, it could easily double. So there's an ongoing food insecurity that's going to destabilize countries. So um, if I can digress one moment, we look at the migrant crisis here in Chicago. Well, there's, we have boycotts and sanctions against the Venezuelan government. The people there cannot survive. So they have decided to move and come here to the country that has put boycotts and sanctions on them. People want to stay at home, but they can't eat at home. So we have to be, with our innovative uh, technology as well as our diplomacy, I'd like to see us move towards food diplomacy, helping the, we have the ability to help feed the world. We're a small part of the world, but we have the technology, and God has blessed us with the land and the soil and the sun uh, with this great land to do so. So I'd like to see us be even more engaged through food diplomacy. And I look at uh, crop insurance as one end of the spectrum, and food insurance is how I would recategorize uh, the supplemental nutritional assistance for food. Crop insurance needs help. The farmers deserve it. It needs to be expanded. And people need help. And when people are doing better, the government ought to get out of the way. And when people are having hard times, the government ought to step up and help them. I can see the congressman nodding in the affirmative on that one. Let's let's move away because we could spend all day on that one particular area. Um, there was a great article uh, yesterday in the Tribune um, about what's needed in the Farm Bill. Uh, one of the things that is suggested, uh, and many groups are saying that they agree with this, is addressing climate um, conservation. Uh, cover crops uh, on the fields, uh, carbon capture. Uh, is that part of the conversation that, that you're having with your constituents, and is that also a, a priority in your discussions? I would say the conservation um, measures within the Farm Bill are very important and taken widely advantage of, um, so much so that a lot of them are actually oversubscribed um, within the Farm Bill. Um, One of the things that I think is going to be an interesting interplay with the Farm Bill is in the Inflation Reduction Act, which the Inflation Reduction Act actually had $19.5 billion dedicated to climate-smart agricultural investment. Um, I think as 
as a lot of us on the committee, we want to make sure we're protecting that. Um, but there is discussion about how that will interplay with some of the farm bill, um, potentially adding some of those dollars into the farm bill in a conservation title. There are obviously <coughs> titles, uh, for those that might not know, in a farm bill. Mm-hmm. In the conservation, um, in the Title II, in the conservation program, maybe adding some of that money so we increase our baseline okay. funding for the farm bill, which would be a positive and that that means every five years we've lifted the baseline for conservation. We really want to make sure, I'm looking at Jen Wine, we really want to make sure that we're protecting that uh, funding. And I think there are conversations. I just um, had a conversation. I know Congressman Jackson, we've been meeting with our chairman of agriculture, G.T. Thompson from Pennsylvania, who is a, is a very moderate Republican that, you know, we, I think we probably both work really well with. Um, but we also know that they're talking about um, changes to the conservation program. And so want to make sure we're protecting that because especially as it relates to being in Title II, our Midwestern farmers, our corn growers, our soybean growers really take advantage of that. And what we want to make sure is we're protecting that and we don't see that movie money moving into a different title to help other commodities, maybe peanut growers or those kind of further down south. Because mm-hmm. what I have learned about the farm bill, and you know this better than I do, is it can become a turf war in some ways um, between different commodities. So obviously I want to make sure we're making we're taking care of um, our Midwestern farmers, um, but that we are protecting our conservation programs. Congressman, how would you respond to that, that need for conservation in production, uh, whether it's in an open field setting or whether it's in a, uh, a lot, a vacant lot or area in Chicago or on a rooftop as it relates to climate change, carbon capture, keeping soils in place and improving them uh, so that they're even more productive than they currently are. Well, it's also a function of what do we view as the American lifestyle, the American dream. And properly defined, this helps the family farmer, that the smaller farmer has to have a way to stay on their land. This is the only business they know. So it doesn't go all the way where it's big ag, it's corporate ag, and they take the smaller farmer off. So yes, I am all for the, for the, for the conservation. I'm all for the crop insurance and expanding it and making sure that it's more in the nuanced places for first-generation farmers. There is a growing uh, demand for urban agriculture as well as in rural agriculture. The median age of the farmer now is 57 years of age. Mm -hmm. So if you will, it's a dying uh, part of our society. And we need to move with all alacrity and speed to make sure that younger farmers know that they can have access to the land. Having access to purchasing land, having access to all the programs to buy the tools for the land. Uh, One of the things that you're also seeing is that the, uh, I've met so many farmers. I've been on farm listening sessions in Missouri and uh, Mm -hmm. in eastern Tennessee, and we've sent staffers up to Maine and so forth, is that so many farmers now are working a full-time job while they have a farm so that they can have some insurance. I'd like to see that program modernized so that people that are working on the farm have access to insurance and tools and access to capital. Well, each of you, uh, from your comments, I've observed from listening and sort of watching out of the corner of my eye, have, have raised some eyebrows. And like, hmm, oh, I didn't know that, huh? Wow. Uh, so let's, let's go to the audience uh, and, and ask some questions. And I know that um, 
Justin DeJong is in the audience, American Medical Association, and one of those eye-raising, oh, when you said, Congressman, if we didn't eat as much now as we didn't used to eat then, it might might be a little different. So If the Justin, food supply was different now versus then, people are still eating the same, but something in these food is making the children obese. And, and <laughs> to that point, too, um, it, it is referred to as the Farm Bill, mm-hmm. but Ag Secretary Vilsack, uh, in his first term, uh, often referred to it as the Food, Farm, and Jobs Bill. It, it is so much more than just what we conjure up as an image of farm, mm-hmm. uh, because to your point, it is about food, it is about jobs, it, 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 it is about more than that, and health. Uh, and so, Justin, um, mm-hmm. you got a question? Uh, Colleen, great to see you. Um, Justin DeYoung, we worked together, of course, um, during the Obama administration at USDA. Um, uh, two questions uh, for our esteemed panelists. Uh, number one, um, you know, there's often a, a divide, urban rule, um, in how the farm bill gets pieced together. And so, um, you know, I, I appreciate the perspective of, of both of you um, enabled to be part of that urban rule um, coalition. And so, you know, would appreciate your perspective on, on how you're helping um, the bill come together. And then number two, I think, Congressman, to your, your point, um, what um, and I ask this as a um, as someone who works at the American Medical Association, uh, what can be uh, done to improve the um, nutrition research um, aspect of the Farm Bill? Why don't you start, Congressman? You have to to leave Um, a few minutes. Absolutely. Well, the latter part of the question on the the food research, that uh, we have to speed that up. I'm 100% in agreement with uh, Congresswoman Brzezinski. Other countries are now showing that leadership, and that's going to spill into not just in the precision farming, but in the AI, and mm-hmm. you're going to need the broadband to implement it. So we have to think through uh, beyond administrations how does this program sustain itself, not the R's are in, the D's are in, and all that kind of short-term foolishness. So I want to see long-term solutions. The other part was on the... Uh, on the urban rule, someone asked me, like, Mr. Jackson, why are you on the uh, agriculture committee? I said, everybody eats. Like, come on, what's wrong with you? And then I said, you all are the producers, we're the consumers, so we need to talk and we need to get together. So there's enough, truly, for us to work together on this. And I've met some of the kindest, most generous, nicest people in the farming community. And uh, there's all sort of programs where they fill up food banks, they, uh, just as a part of a communal lifestyle, they share the food. So it's not with the farmers, it's something in the distribution mechanism that we have to, have to figure out. And I want to make sure we're not putting an onerous work requirement on those that are most vulnerable. My parents are now both in their 80s, my uh, wife's uh, parents are both in their 80s. And because they've got insurance and uh, they can take care of themselves, I'm in a position now to be able to go to Washington, work and do other things. Other people are becoming home caregivers for their parents and nurses for their parents. Some people have children that have uh, different challenges. And so they want to work. They want to do things outside the house. But that's a function of the health care system on what access do you have to nursing and other things. So it's comprehensive. I don't want this to be so narrowly focused. And it can't be so broad that you can't wrap your arms around it. But it's a societal issue. So I want to make sure that 
the uh, young people have access to get into farming. We also have an innovative program that was put in the 2018 Farm Bill on food as, uh, food as medicine, which is absolutely fabulous, where doctors can write prescriptions for the food you need to eat to deal with your medicine. So you may not need the Coumadin for the blood thinner. You can eat more beets and be given a prescription to go purchase the food that can help thin your blood. So there's a lot of good stuff in there. And some children think food comes from the drive through window. Some think it comes through the refrigerator. Some think it comes from the grocery store. And some know that it comes from the farmer and the soil. So uh, teaching our children about agriculture has been sorely missed. I've gone through graduate school and all and never introduced to agriculture in my life. So we've got to get these programs back into the school where children um, can understand it. And children want to grow something. And a shameless plug for my district, we have the University of, uh, we've got the um, uh, Museum of Science and Industry. Please take your children to go see the Ag Department at the, at the uh, Museum of Science and Industry. <laughs> If I could just add on to what Jonathan asked, I mean, obviously I think you can hear some commonality of priorities, urban, rural, um, but I also think it, the committee, the work of the House Agriculture Committee and the Farm Bill bridges, I think, also partisan divides too, which right now I think are really important. Um, a number of the pieces of legislation that I've introduced, whether it is to support young and beginning farmers, I'm doing that with a Republican colleague from Des Moines, um, whether it's supporting agricultural research, doing that again with a Republican colleague, both in the Senate as well, it's bicameral. Um, and, and I think a lot of the issues as a relates to agriculture. It's one of the committees, and why I really sought out to be in the committee, is that it's more policy-driven, um, it's more consensus-driven, and it can bridge It can bridge a lot of divides, I guess, is my point. And I think we need more of that <laughs> right now, desperately. But I think that um, even in talking to our chairman or talking to other members that are on the committee, Democrats and Republicans, we all overwhelmingly support crop insurance. Republicans do support, obviously, nutrition programs just like I think it's at the funding levels that we really get into the negotiation. But, um, you know, I think that's also encouraging when you're talking about a farm bill and an important point, too. And can I add one other point? I really appreciate Congresswoman Brzezinski. Um, and then you find the commonality between the rural and the urban. If you live in a rural area, you're more likely to have lost jobs. You have a Dollar General. You've got antique stores. You don't have your own community bank. You don't have access to the hospitalizations and doctors. Uh, white females in rural area are now, uh, their life expectancy is going down because of nutrition, health, and access to other things. So they've got the same profile as many people in the urban markets I've been able to observe firsthand from across the nation. So. The gap between what was once rural problems and what's urban is really the same. We've got fentanyl issues, they've got gun issues, they've got all the same issues. So I see a lot more commonality than I do distance between the communities. Thank you, Congressman, for ma making that point. And, and I think it puts an exclamation point on making a connection. Uh, it's not either or, or I need this, but you don't, and you don't, and I do. It's about what are the commonalities, as you pointed out. Um, I do want to talk about um, how we get anywhere with any of this uh, discussion, but um, I know that um, the Greater Chicago Food Depository is also um, represented uh, 
Mike, oh, you want Mike to go first? Okay. Yeah, well, if you don't mind, I, I would. No, I don't, but on deck, Chicago Food Depository, right. and first, uh, our state treasurer, Mike Frerichs, has a question. Great. First, I want to thank the members of Congress for taking time out of your schedule uh, to speak to us before rushing off to electing your next speaker so that we can get to solving the grave international issues if uh, this is not the topic here. But if you want to weigh in on uh, the next speaker, I'm sure people will be interested. But my question is, you started to ask this earlier with the Chicago Tribune report on climate change and its effect on agriculture. Uh, But then I heard Congresswoman Buzinski say there's generally broad agreement in the agriculture community, Democrats and Republicans. On climate, there is not. So how does that uh, play in these discussions? I know there's support on the Republican side of the aisle for crop insurance. Um, Do we need to actually relabel this as climate insurance? Would that push them off? Um, Where do you see this going? Because I think there is a a growing acknowledgement from farmers that this is having an impact on them. I'm not sure their elected officials on the Republican side of the aisle are quite ready to admit that yet. Well, what I would say about that, I, I was kind of alluding a little bit to, I think, what will be a sticking point in this farm bill is protections around conservation dollars in general. And um, some on the committee that, you know, whether, you know, we have a lot of different conservation programs within the Midwest. We talk a lot about cover crops, but there's a lot of other things that we do that are oversubscribed right now. There are farmers that are taking advantage of this. We want to make sure that we're protecting the dollars out of the Inflation Reduction Act and conservation adding. If we're adding, we're being additive. We're not taking away from conservation. But I I do agree. I think there are some Um, there will be a tension around that and the amount of money that is going toward conservation in this farm bill. I think the other thing that I've been trying to lead on is when I talk about agricultural research, you know, I was out at the energy farm at the University of Illinois. They're leading the way in how to create more resilient, um, uh, you know, uh, crops. They are coming up with a, they're mimicking basically what an environment would look like 30 years from now with increased carbon, with increased heat. How are we creating a more resilient crop? And I think that is the kind of thing that we need to be funding. Agricultural research helps to fund so that we're investing in a more resilient agricultural economy for the future, taking into account the impacts of climate change. So I think we need to kind of be doing both. I do think you're absolutely right, Mike, that there is going to be a tension around that and how much we're funding it. But from my perspective and the farmers that I visit with in central and southern Illinois, many of whom you know, um, you know, there's a there's a need for these programs and making sure that we're protecting these conservation measures is going to be really important and probably where the fight is. So is climate the, the, the buzzword that, that we're going to have a barrier jumping over? Well, I think I, maybe climate, I, I think conservation is kind of yeah. more typically how it's talked about. I think it's also important, you know, the voluntary nature is something that is also really protected, I think, for farmers as well. They don't want to feel like they mandatorily have to participate, as you know, in these conservation programs. But I think they are taking off, and you are seeing that because these programs, like so many other at USDA, are well oversubscribed, right. um, which when a program is oversubscribed, just means we don't have enough funding. There's so much interest. Um, and so I think that that would speak to the need 
for for the funding and the protection of it. And so not being told what to do or how to do it, right. but being incentivized to do what is considered to be the right thing. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> okay, yeah. All right. Congressman? No, I agree. She nailed it. <laughs> Ditto. 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 Um, Chicago Food Depository? Any follow-up? There we go. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Hillary Karen. I'm with the Greater Chicago Food Depository and also a USDA alum. Um, I just want to thank both of you for the work that you're doing protecting SNAP in the Farm Bill. Um, nutrition is probably the other title that unfortunately is not as bipartisan as it should be and could be. Um, I think, as the Congresswoman mentioned, Chairman Thompson has said some really encouraging things about honoring the agreement that was made about time limits in the um, Fiscal Responsibility Act and the debt ceiling mm-hmm. agreement. And so we're sort of looking at it thinking, well, maybe just doing nothing <laughs> would be a win <laughs> when it comes to nutrition. And I know that you know just protecting the program and not having further restrictions would be, in this climate, potentially success. Um, I'd just like to hear from both of you, either of you, overall in the whole farm bill, knowing that this is unlikely to be a transformational farm bill without additional funding, if there are some of those kind of small wins or incremental changes that you're hoping to see and that, that you're working on. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll step on that. Um, the dishonesty in the conversation that's being had about maintaining spending levels to 2022 in an inflationary period already locks in cuts because this doesn't keep up with the new cost of food. So it's a subterfuge cut to the program. The food uh, has to be increased. Food cost has gone up across the board. And when I see senior citizens saying uh, the same food I bought for $90 is now 130 I put something in the grocery basket for 140 for 120 and it came out to 160 the same thing. So we have to make sure that we take the fight on, and it's really not a good place to compromise. Compromise in so many ways in this environment means defeat because people will not eat. So this is a battle that's worth fighting to increase the funding, and thank you for all that you do. I would just echo, I feel like a compromise has been reached, um, and that was during the debt ceiling. We compromised on additional work requirements for able-bodied people. We were successfully, I think, collectively able to protect veterans and some other more vulnerable communities from um, being negatively impacted by that compromise. But I agree. I feel like it is very encouraging that our chairman has acknowledged that he considers the work requirement, which is one of the more contentious parts of the farm bill, to be already hammered out. Um, and I think that is that is how he's operating, and that's I've heard no different from that. I do think you're absolutely right, kind of to your second question. We all want to do these innovative um, you know, take these innovative initiatives. You know, my young farmers, I'm asking for $500 million for a USDA pilot program uh, that was started with $50 million, well oversubscribed. Again, another USDA program that's really popular. Where are we going to come up with that other $450 million to fund a really worthwhile program? Um, and so I do think that is kind of where the tensions lie. I think one of the things, even though the Farm Bill, Colleen mentioned, did expire on September 30th, it is reassuring that important titles like nutrition and crop insurance, they do continue. It's really only until we get to December 31st where we start to see real impacts. If you've not heard about the 
the the dairy cliff um, and things like that that um, you know there will or trade that will really see impact at the end of the year. But nutrition continues obviously, and so does crop insurance. So from a negotiating perspective, I've always taken that I voted for the debt ceiling, the bipartisan debt ceiling compromise, um, because I really thought that at that time it was going to put aside that bigger contentious issue, then we can get a farm bill done. So, Great. Well, so many follow-ups to that, but I want to make sure, Jen Walling from Illinois Environmental Council, that you have a chance to ask your questions, too. Thank you so much. Um, there's Jen Walling, Illinois Environmental Council, and thank you so much for um, your work so far on climate and conservation. Really appreciate the work that both of you are doing. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how the Farm Bill intersects with states in general. There is an effort um, to overrule some mandates on agriculture that are being done by other states for conservation and climate, which is troubling. But also, I'm concerned about the way that states can access agricultural and conservation funding, and I feel like Illinois leaves a lot of money on the table because there's a match requirement. We have low-resource environmental justice communities that can't fill out applications, whereas other states are helping those communities fill out applications. And of course, that is the state issue. But how can we make some of these programs um, more accessible to states um, through whether it's matching or um, assistance with applications? And of course, Colleen knows all about about these challenges as well. But I'd love to know more about um, the intersection between states and the Farm Bill. Do you want me to jump in? (laughs) Um, I would just say I think we need more flexibility for our farmers, specifically within Illinois, on taking advantage of conservation dollars. I I have heard that um, from many of my farmers, the commodity groups. We need more flexibility so they can take advantage of them. So I'm for that and would love to work with people to create that flexibility so we can utilize those dollars. I think the second thing um, that I think is also really important within the Farm Bill that we have the opportunity need to do is the technical assistance. I have heard across the board from my smaller communities to more urban communities within central and southern Illinois, it is a real challenge uh, for smaller communities without capacity to access federal dollars. When you're talking about having to spend 26 hours on one federal grant application that you don't know at the end of the day whether you're going to get or not, Who is going to help put that application together? And um, obviously the USDA provides a lot of that assistance, but one of the initiatives that I've also introduced is called Rebuild Rural, which would provide more, a really more beefed up um, amount of financial assistance for technical assistance so that people can access, communities can access these programs, because that is a real barrier. And to that point, I was looking at something, actually, it's where the Canadian government has it set up for their agriculture. They actually push the money to the smaller municipalities and notify them that it's not at the burden of the smaller, poorer communities that don't have the uh, management or the capacity to go seek the funding. So that is something I'm definitely looking into right now, and I've seen other countries um, deal with it in the opposite direction. They notify the municipality, these funds are available, fill out the application, as opposed to trying to go to a portal that leads you to nowhere that you can't navigate. 
Yeah, so much that I'd like to say uh, on that. Um, I will simply say that um, at USDA Rural Development, that has numerous programs now that can benefit urban agriculture, where there is no longer a population threshold, as there typically is for many of those rural development programs. The value-added producer grant can be utilized. Mm -hmm. It's a grant, and so someone has to write that grant to Jen's point. Who who does that for for that entity? Um, There are Rural Energy for America program opportunities. that's, That's another grant. Uh, that can be utilized in a more agrarian setting as well as uh, in an urban setting. But who writes the grant? Writing grants is an art. Uh, and, and to Jen's point, uh, how do we help in- entities and communities who need a grant writer? Right. So that, that's all part of this, this discussion as well. Um, so uh, more questions from the audience, please. And please introduce yourself. Please sure. give me... Jonathan Carroll. I have to say goodbye. Oh, pardon me? We've said all along that the congressman needed to leave, and he stayed longer than he was supposed to. So thank you. This is a big ag day for me. Secretary Vilsack of Agriculture is in the southern part of the district. And so. I think you should go meet him. Yeah. But I want to thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right. You have the mic. Sure. Jonathan Sherrill, I appreciated what uh, Congressman said about soil is, uh, is health. Farm Box Rx is a great example of a company that's doing that now and receiving uh, recognition from the health insurance companies for prescribing uh, food in that way. I also appreciated what you were asking about climate. My specific question is around are you aware of the impediments in the current federal crop program as it relates specifically to adoption of cover crop use from farmers? Uh, 20 years spent working in the food ag, ag uh, and beverage space with farmers and ranchers, but I'm hearing largely across the board from food companies that I've engaged with as well as farmers, they want to adopt cover crop practices. They want to armor the soil. They want to maintain a living root, but there are very specific impediments in our federal crop insurance program that are keeping them from doing that. Some talk about it through regenerative agriculture, but what I found is the unifying voice is around soil health, mm-hmm. the principles of soil health. Mm-hmm. And so I brought uh, a couple of articles from American Farmland Trust. If you aren't familiar with their paper, they recently released uh, in August appealing to the Farm Bill and those involved with this policy work about those very specific impediments in the federal crop insurance program around cover cropping. So I appreciated that you mentioned that cover cropping. I also appreciate that the questions that we get from an insurance perspective is, well, what's the role of insurance? And I think what I would like to appeal and communicate is that there are very similarities to this hardened property market right now that we've seen because of these massive swings with, with climate impacts on the hardened market. And that effect is simply this. What, what we've discovered is that companies have largely underestimated their replacement costs, the true replacement costs. On top of that, they are seeing significant swings with the losses from major catastrophes, major weather events, being climate. 
but then you add to that inflation, and then you add to that the supply chain challenges. And I would suggest that the same indicators are there in our food system, particularly our soils, where we're treating soil as a petri dish. And so at some point in time, we come to an understanding that soil health as it's degrading is going to eventually catch up. And then at what point in time will the federal government operating as a reinsurer through our standard reinsurance agreement realize that they can't cover all these losses? And so that my particular question is those impediments um, are, are you aware of those where the NRCS is saying regenerative agriculture, soil health, soil health, but our risk management agency is having to administer the current standard reassurance agreement accordingly, which is at, at best antagonistic to those principles of soil health. Mm-hmm. So is that the right-hand, left-hand issue? <laughs> it's both. It's yeah. what, what, what I'm seeing is that the unifying, whether it's the right or the left, that you know, it's very difficult to find somebody who can't agree that soil health is important. And I wasn't talking about right and left politically. I was mm. talking about the right hand and the left hand sure. communicating with each other. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just to be clear. Yes. <laughs> Both and. <laughs> I, I would love to learn more about that, yeah, and, and how barriers to access um, or impact on the crop insurance program for sure. Definitely. I brought a copy of the paper if you'd great. like. So I would love it. That served up great. for you and can, and can line it up. That sounds great. Great. This, Thanks for the time today. This really did turn into a field hearing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, we do have some questions that uh, we've received uh, from the audience. And this one is, how can the Farm Bill create incentives? We talked a little bit about incentives mm-hmm. earlier. Mm-hmm. For farmers wherever they may live or work, to adopt new innovation with sustainability and technology and reduce the risk for change? You may have already answered that, so maybe just sort of repeat your answer. Um, Well, I I mean, specifically I would say I would imagine that within conservation, making sure that we have, I think Jen made a really good point about we do, and I have heard from farmers, we need more flexibility around how farmers get access to conservation programs in order to take advantage of it. Um, So happy to work on doing that so they can utilize that. But I think we were talking about earlier, it's, these are incentives, it's not mandatory, but I think that these are programs, conservation programs that are really catching on, and I think with more flexibility, more farmers are can continue to take advantage of it. Okay. Follow-up question to that response? Okay. Hearing none. Uh, what do you believe the role would be for food forests and free community gardens would be in helping to alleviate food deserts? Should food be, should it play a role in helping the working class and marginalize meet the needs that they have? Yes, I think we, we need to figure out a way to create more local production of food as a way to create more options, I think, locally for people, and that could look in a variety of different ways. Um, There are two, I'd point out, Local Farms and Food Act, and then the Farmers Market Local Food Bank Revitalization Act are two things um, that I've really been trying to um, lead on. You know, one of the things that's interesting, in the state of Illinois, we have the third most farmers markets in the country. So we have a lot of farmers markets here in the state of Illinois, and that's 
something that we should continue to, I think, kind of grow. I think one of the things, giving credit to the governor's office, they had an initiative that actually in the district that I represent will take advantage of how to create more, um, you know, it's not a grocery store, but it is actually like a market of sort that people can get regular healthy food options. Um, And how do you break down financial barriers to making that something that can work successfully. Um, Maybe it's not making record profits, but it's able to keep afloat so that people have more options, more locally um, produced food options in their communities. So I think that's really important. The Healthy Food and Finance Initiative Act, which is another way to help incentivize uh, more locally grown healthy food options, is in the Farm Bill. I believe it's in the Farm Bill. And it's something that I also have co-sponsored as just another way to provide more resources for local food production. Um, so there's a lot out there. I think it's just you know working with communities to try to get them to take advantage of it, and it's a lot easier also said than done too. You know. Um, one final question, and maybe uh, a thought, since we do have state government represented, mm-hmm. and and uh, Treasurer Frerich says ask a question uh, previously, is there uh, from anything that you've heard today, Treasurer, is there um, any any piece of this where the Treasurer's office could, could become involved or become a part of any of this discussion to, to, to build on what we have federally? So funny you ask that. We do have an Ag Invest program. It's been in operation for about 40 years. We've given over $4 billion in loans to agriculture. And trying to address some of the same problems because it is a very capital-intensive business. Some people refer to farmers as small businessmen. And it's true they may have a relatively small operation in terms of employees, but if you look at the capital required, it is very large, Colleen, as you, as you know. Um, so we came in, we changed our Ag Invest program to reflect changes in agriculture. We have marketed differently to help those newer farmers who are trying to get into the business because, as we know, uh, most farmers are born into farming. Because unless you are able to inherit a lot of land, it is very, very difficult. But we changed our program to allow uh, ag invest loans for purchase of agriculture. The other thing we've changed it to do is to change how we define agriculture. And that uh, that could be alternative crops, alternative ways of farming. Um, so things like people who want to do work with vegetables we don't tri- traditionally grow here in the Midwest. Um, you can use Agonvest loans now to build greenhouses. And also there has been a big change. We talk about uh, food we grow here and that we ship overseas. I think a lot of people believe that when you drive through those cornfields, they are just full of sweet corn that we get to eat. <laughs> that is not the case. I've had to tell people all the time, uh, this is corn being raised for livestock, for uh, fuel, for ethanol, uh, or maybe some of it will be ground up and ends up in processed food we eat. But it's not something that goes directly into a farmer's market. But there has been a big push for organic farming. From individuals who are worried about all the pesticides being put on their on their crops, and especially when we sell soybeans overseas to Japan, uh, they have a different atti- attitude towards uh, GMO and um, organic foods or organic crops. But it can take several; it will take several years to be certified organic. 
You can't one year dump a lot of fertilizer, a lot of pesticides, pesticides on that field, and the next year say, we're not going to use it. Now it's organic. It takes several years of going through that process, and in those years, it can be expensive. And so we try to provide access to capital. We don't have money to give away, but we think that investing in agriculture, Illinois' number one largest industry, is a good investment in something we do there. Thank you. And with that, um, we have covered a, a lot of territory as it relates to agriculture, USDA, uh, and the Farm Bill. And we've been talking about change. And it, it occurred to me as I sat and listened, um, I, I thought of what Winston Churchill once said when he said, we must take change by the hand. For if we don't, it most assuredly will take us by the throat. <laughs> and change isn't easy. Um, but yet, look at all the changes that we have seen and have lived. Uh, and aren't we a lucky group of people to be here today to have had an opportunity to sit with two of our elected officials who are now in positions to help make the kind of change that we've suggested and talked about and heard about today. So my thanks to City Club for creating this opportunity for all of us. Uh, and I hope as we leave, that when you leave, you say, gee, I learned something. I, di I didn't know that. Um, so that you'll continue to want to learn more about the Farm Bill and USDA and the relationships uh, that there are between what we think of as agrarian and urban, when in actuality, they are all very similar. So thank you, Congresswoman. Thank you, thank you to uh, Congresswoman Sorry, Jimmy. Thank you to Colleen, who slipped right back into her broadcasting role, didn't she? Did you guys peep that? She said, on deck next. I was like, yeah, she's, you know, you think someone who's worked for the administration would, you know, have left some of that. But thank you for keeping that, that old hat of yours on. Um, what a great discussion. And I said to Treasurer Frerichs, I'm so disappointed that this room isn't full. Um, because there's so much more to be discussed, right? And just so you know, Congressman Jackson was like in major trouble with his staff. Um, they were all but jumping up and down doing like, you know, jumping jacks because I guess he's late for the U.S. Congress, the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture. Yeah. I wouldn't be late for him. Oops, right? I, I wouldn't either. <laughs> so he, he, he was hustling off to that, but thank um, to both, uh, Congressman, before I forget, because I always mess this up, this is your um, year honorary membership. Oh, thank you and Colleen, very much. Thank you. And Colleen, this is yours, oh, and we hope very much awesome. that you all use them. There's so much good stuff going on, and yeah. it is my hope that we continue this conversation. Um, uh, Representative Tarver and uh, Treasurer Frerichs and any oh and Congress and Commissioner Bridget Gaynor is here. I was like, are you Commissioner today or are you Ann? Because I sometimes don't know the difference, but she's always my good friend Bridget. Um, I think it's important that we here in Chicago talk about that. Um, I come from central Illinois and um, know lots and lots about lots of corn. And um, in Springfield, we all, you know, we we did, you know, corn husking. I don't know about other folks, but that's what we did. And um, alongside with that, I'm a leatherneck from Western Illinois University. We don't know anything. I mean, I remember back when I was in school that we had people coming from um, other countries to actually study agriculture. So did you say we are the horseradish? I thought horseradish. world, yeah. And pollen. That's and pumpkin. Yeah, and, and pumpkin. And pumpkin, too? Yeah. Wow. I, that's a tidbit I didn't know. Yes. Take that to your kids so they can talk about that tomorrow in school. 
um, that's pretty cool. But I do feel like we need to continue this conversation. So if the state wants to have anything to say about that, that's a hint, Representative Tarver and Treasurer Ferrix. If you guys want to keep talking about this, um, I have a feeling that we know some people that might be able to help us with that conversation. So, um, I, I, again, thank you for the intimate conversation. I think it happened the way it should. But, you know, when you see people like Carol Rice here and, you know, Pat Brady, you know that this is stuff that's important, not just for jobs, but for, you know, just for well-being. Um, I don't know which one of you said that kids actually like to grow things. Mm-hmm. And they do. Kids really get a kick out of growing things. We had a garden in my elementary school. I don't know about you guys. Nobody else had gardens? <laughs> See what I'm saying? See, I didn't think I was alone. Um, Tomorrow, please note that we will have, speaking of horseradish, we will have the um, ambassador to the U.S., Kirsten Hillman, here from Canada. So um, I don't know what the openings look like, but you know my theory. Check in early to get a good seat uh, if you want to get here. So I think that'll be exciting to have her here. Um, There are so many good programming things that we have going on, and um, Dr. Mazur, our chair emeritus, is here. (laughs) <laughs> and our great audio staff and Amanda and Dot are here from, from the City Club staff and they do such a great job and I always want to acknowledge them because this stuff doesn't happen without them they let me go back down the street and go back to, to, to work but um, they do a great job so thank you all for being here Colleen we appreciate you taking the time to pull this together Congresswoman this means a lot to us I was actually looking at the committee um, because I had not before wow it's a pretty diverse committee that's that's really great um, agriculture means a lot and um, the the Aon comment about you know insurance all of this kind of ties together and you know that commercial that says Illinois is in the middle of everything why shouldn't we be in the middle of agriculture right that's pretty good wasn't it Harold I thought so, too. I thought that was pretty good. Um, thank you all so much, and you can continue to talk, um, since I don't know how many of you actually got your, your food eaten, but because uh, I think you're more busy listening. Thank you so much, and we are adjourned. Thank you.